Wow, what a day, huh? Thank you, Jesus, for showing up. I want to get into this message, but I just want to say is we have been blessed over the last 10 years with the best of the best. So next week, Pastor George and I are going to have some fun, aren't we? Pastor George is going to help preach with me. I got to tell you, we'll probably cry a little bit, but boy, we're going to laugh, don't we, Pastor George? We're going to laugh. We're going to have some fun. So I want to tell you that, again, that in between the services, we're going to have a reception for Pastor George and Pat. And I also needed to tell you that we're closing the cafe next week so that we can just focus on Pastor George and Pat. Is that okay? All right. So um, I, anyway, you're, you're, you're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be It's going to be a good time. Okay, so we're in a series. In fact, we are now in the last sermon of the series, Refresh. And in these last several weeks, what we've been doing is we have been looking at the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches. And the reason that we've called it Refresh is because every one of us, at some point in time in our lives, we experience our relationships growing stale. And so what do we need to do? We need to push that refresh button, right? But we also have learned that the letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in Ephesus and all the rest of them were not just meant for them, but they were all meant for us too. Because these are the issues and the problems that all churches go through. But even more so, Jesus tells us, it's not just for the churches, it's for us individually. Now, last week, I gave you a warning. Remember what it was? The second and the sixth letters to the churches were encouraging. The first and the seventh, not so much. But I want to just tell you that if you go back to the very first letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus, you remember that the issue was that they had lost that love and feeling. Remember? And then Jesus tells them about how to get that back. Today, we're going to look at a church, and you're going to understand how they lost that love and feeling. So at Christmas time, when we were opening all of our gifts, we gave our grandkids a very unique gift. It was different. We've given them the packages where they open and things like that. This time, we did something different. We gave them each a box. Lori gets credit for all of this, okay? I was just there to say, yep, I'm paying for it. (laughs) But in each one of the boxes, all the kids got the same boxes, but in each one of the boxes, there are 12 cards. And what we gave them was each month, we're going to create a different memory. So we've had two of them so far. The first one was we had a sleepover at Baba Benetia's house. We had lunch, we had supper, and we had a great time. It was a lot of fun. This last week, we did the second one, and the second one was is that we took the kids to Dave & Buster's. Now, it's an arcade place, okay? So we took them there. We were there for probably for two and a half hours, and then we went out to eat. Now, you know I was a teacher, and so there's always that time when that teacher comes out in me. And as we walked into the arcade place, I said to all five of the grandkids... Okay, 10, 7, and 3. All right, before we go in, everybody come here. Here's the rules. 
Number one, have fun. Number two, you can go wherever you want to go as long as you keep either Bob or H in your sight. Everybody understand? Everybody shook their head, and off they went. And we had an incredible time. That's what's happening where we are right now with Moses and the children of Israel. You see, they're about to go into the promised land. And before they go into the promised land, Moses grabs them all together, and he tells them of what they can expect. But not only does he tell them what they should be looking forward to, he also gives them some dangers to avoid. Listen to what they are. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is what we're going to talk about today. So what was happening here in this story? The Lord gathers the people together and he tells them, I want you to remember why I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt and I took you through the wilderness to come to Mount Sinai so that you could worship me. But just in case you forgot, I want to remind you is that the reason that I brought you through the wilderness is because you had too much Egypt in you. And I needed to get rid of the Egypt out of you. Well, what do you mean by that? He means this. You were too independent. And my people are going to be dependent upon me and interdependent upon one another. God made that message very, very clear. In fact, you heard in that where he said, do not forget the Lord. That word forget means to abandon. It means to push aside so that something else can come and take its place. This is the message from the Old Testament to the people as they now enter into the promised land. Now, before we go into reading God's Word, I want you to write these four words down. And if you don't write them down on a piece of paper, maybe you can write them on, on your brain, and hopefully God will imprint them on your heart, and here's what it is. Affluence leads to self-reliance. Affluence leads to self-reliance. Stand with me out of respect for God's Word as I read from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, 
I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, in a world that teaches me to rely only on myself, may I continue to find my strength in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I just want to begin by telling you is that the economy in Laodicea is booming. In fact, if you were to live, if you were to be a citizen of Laodicea, it meant that you were probably pretty wealthy. You see, the reason that Laodicea had a booming economy is because they planned it that way. You see, way back when, when they started the city of Laodicea, they planted the city, they built the city, they created the city on the biggest trade route that was known to man at that time. It connected the east and the west. And they did that because they knew that every physical thing in earth that was created by man had to pass through Laodicea. Cloths, linens, crafts, textiles, silver, gold, bronze, it all had to go through Laodicea. Because of that, they became a very wealthy community. So wealthy, they had so much money that they had to figure out what to do with it. And so what they did is they were known for creating a banking system. And what happened in this banking system is that it was not just a banking system that held the money, but it was a banking system that was developed that made the money work for the people. Now, Rome took note of this, and they wanted to know how they did it. In fact, for a while, Rome brought some of their valuable assets and gave it to the bank at Laodicea, and Laodicea charged them interest. Now, that didn't happen very long, because obviously Rome learned that, hey, we could make a lot of money on that, and so they learned the banking system, and the empire of the Roman government grew and grew and grew and grew. 
There was something else that Laodicea had known that they were known for. They had developed this eye salve. And it was the only place in the world that people could come to get this eye salve. It healed infections and irritations of the eye. And because Laodicea had the patent on it, everybody had to get it from them. You understand, this is an economy that keeps growing and growing and growing. And so I just want to say to you, and I want you to hear this, that if you were a Christian living in Laodicea, listen very carefully, there wasn't a single store you couldn't shop from. Last week, I talked about a city by the name of Philadelphia. Do you remember what happened in AD 17? There was a bad earthquake. And remember I told you how that earthquake had destroyed the city of Philadelphia. They needed help. Remember how Rome helped them? They said, you don't have to pay taxes for five years. That same earthquake did a lot of damage to the people and to the city at Laodicea. But what was different is this. Rome comes a-running. Rome comes around and says, how can we help you? How can we, how can we help you rebuild? Let's rebuild the city. In fact, let's make it better than it was before. But you know what the people of Laodicea said? Thanks, but no thanks. We're doing just fine. Do you understand the culture of Laodicea? Could be a culture of Wichita. It could be a culture of central community. You see, the people that lived in Laodicea kind of like lived in the Palm Springs of the United States. Now, there's one problem that Laodicea had, and it wasn't a little one, it was a big one. They put the city on the main trade route, but they forgot about the most important thing. There was no water. Didn't that just tell you something about their thinking? I mean, you can't live without water, right? Hello? And so what they had to do was they had to figure out this problem. And so what they did is they got together, the leaders got together, and they figured out, we've got to bring water in. And so they did some research, and they found two cities. One of them is Colossae, and the other one is Heropolis. And they went to Colossae, and they wanted to find out about the water. Now remember, Laodicea, they have more money than they know what to do with. So they go to Colossae, and they check out the water, and here's what they find out. The water in Colossae came from the runoff from the mountains. So guess what? It was cold. It was pure. And it was clear. It's just the kind of water that you're looking for when you're hot and you're thirsty. Well, then they went to Heropolis. And you know what kind of water Heropolis had? Heropolis had water that came from hot springs. Some of the research I did, it tells us that the average temperature was 95 degrees. This is the kind of water that you want to have when your muscles are hurting, when you're aching. It's the kind of water that you can just kind of sit in and just, oh, just get relaxed and work all the stress out of your life. So here's what they did. They created an aqueduct system. And in this aqueduct system, they built stone pipes. 
They piped in the water from Colossae, and they piped in the water from Hierapolis. They have a problem now that they didn't realize. The stone that they used to make the pipes was full of minerals. And that minerals gave an odor to the water. It also made the water taste horrible. Besides that, by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was no longer cold, it was no longer hot, it was lukewarm. In fact, this water was so bad that if you would drink it, you would get sick and you would have a desire to vomit. Boy, that tastes good. <laughs> All right, now, so now you kind of understand the background of what's happening. Now let's go to the letter. Jesus writes, I know your deeds. There's those first two words, I know. It's written in each one of these letters. It reminds us again that Jesus is present. He's watching. I know your deeds that you have neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I want you to understand what the Lord is talking about here. He is not talking about the people. He's talking about their function. Are we clear on that? He loves these people. It's a Christian church. He's not happy with their actions. Are we clear on that? Now, I want you to think about this. When it's winter out, and you go to your local favorite cafe, the first thing the waitress comes up and she asks you, can I get you something to drink, right? And what do you say? I'd like a hot cup of coffee. And what does she do? She brings that hot cup of coffee and you hold that cup of coffee in your hands and you start drinking it. But what happens to that coffee over time? It gets cold, right? It gets lukewarm. And so what does the waitress do? She comes back. Can I top off your coffee for you? Can I get you a new cup of coffee? Why? Because she knows we like hot coffee, right? Does anybody go in here and say, oh, ma'am, I'd like a lukewarm cup of coffee, please? We don't do that, do we? Okay? But the same thing is true on the other side in the summer. When it's hot, what do we want? We want a cool glass of water. I don't know about you. I've never gone and said, could you give me a room temperature glass of water? No. I say, make sure you put ice in it. And then as you go, when you go to Chick-fil-A, what do they do? They come back and they say, can I refill? Please, but make sure you put ice in it. You see, that's what happens, and that's what we expect. We never want to deal with a lukewarm cup of coffee, a lukewarm drink. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's telling the people, I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold. In other words, I wish you were who you're supposed to be but you're not who you're supposed to be. You become something else, and what you become is lukewarm. Now, my dear friends in Christ, when I look at that, the first question I have is this. How did they become lukewarm? So I, I brought something with me here this morning. 
Oh, Lord, please don't help me. I have three glasses with me, okay? I have a cold glass of water, okay? You believe it's cold? Come here, Lori. No, I'm just kidding, okay? <laughs> and then I have a hot, hot water in this one here, okay? All right, so here we have Colossae, and here we have Heropolis, and the water comes at the pipes, and as it gets close to the city, this is what happens to the water. The water is joined. And the cold water is no longer cold. And the hot water is no longer hot. It's now lukewarm. And it has a horrible stench. What was Jesus saying? He was simply saying this. My beef that I have with you is this. There's too much world in the church. In other words, you have watered down the gospel. You see, you have now taken God's word and you have mixed it with man's word. And when the Bible doesn't say what you want it to say, you have not gone to your heavenly Father and asked for his direction. You have gone to man. And that makes me sick. Are we like that? Are we taking God's word and man's word and are we watering down the gospel of Jesus Christ? If we are, we are in a dangerous predicament. So dangerous that Jesus says, you make me sick. Well, let's go on. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, the people in Laodicea thought this. We have our degrees, we have our homes, we have our businesses, we have our forms of transportation, we have all the name brand clothes, we have everything we need, Thank you, Lord, but no thanks. Do you say that? Of course not. But do you do that? You see, the people in Laodicea had a culture that we don't need any outside help. We can do it ourselves. So you know what, Lord? When we need you, we'll call you. Don't call us, we'll call you. And this is what Jesus, this is what made Jesus mad. And I want you to listen to this very carefully, okay? You see, the problem with the people was this. They were spiritually blind. Did you hear that? They were spiritually blind. In fact, they were blind 
to their blindness. Here's what they thought. Since I am blessed, I must be right with God. Now, I don't know about you, but that hurt me because I felt like the Holy Spirit was on my toes. You see, the problem with the people was is they thought because they had all of these blessings, that they had all the things that the world had to offer them, that they must be right with God. And God says, you are blind. You are blind to your blindness. I want you to think about this. If a person is physically blind, they know they're blind, right? Because you can't see, right? But the problem with being blind to your blindness spiritually is that you can't see it. Sin is deceptive, amen? Guess who it's deceptive to first? Me. I can be so deceived by sin, I can't even recognize the blindness that I'm experiencing in my life. There was a man, he was an elderly man, and he and his wife went to the gas station. And when they went to the gas station, you guys will understand this, I'm going to have to do something for next hour. But they went to the gas station, and the attendant came out to the car and said, can I fill up your, your, your car with gas? And he said, please do. And he said, by the way, would you like me to wash your windshield? Oh, I'd love for you to do that. So he stuck the gas in the gas tank, and then he went to the front, and he started washing the windshield. The man went in and came back out, and he looked at the windshield, and he goes, I thought you said you were going to clean my windshield. And the man said, I did. He looked at it, and he got close. He goes, that's the dirtiest windshield I've ever seen. The man said, let me do it again. So he did it again. The man came back out, and he looked at the windshield, and he goes, what's the deal? That's the dirtiest windshield I've ever seen in my life. And this went back and forth for five minutes. Finally, his wife got out of the car, took off the man's glasses, <laughs> cleaned them. Wow, that's the, that's the cleanest windshield I've ever seen in my life. Now, here's what I want you to understand about that, okay? Listen very carefully. That's how the people were at Laodicea, and that's how we are in our world. You see, we think the answer is out there. But God says, no, the answer is right in here. You're blind to your blindness. You're living in a state of being lukewarm, and you don't even see it. There was a leader from the China Home Church, and he was talking about all of the success and the things that God was doing in China. And so one of the Americans came up to them, and I want you to know that we are praying for you. But listen to how this, this, this leader in China answered this. Take a look at this. Stop praying for persecution to end in China. The leader responded, for it is through persecution that the church has grown. You know what he said after that? I'm praying that the American church would begin to suffer persecution because it's during persecution that God grows his church. Let's go on. 
Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Well, what's Jesus saying here? He's saying something real quickly. He's saying this. He said, make sure you're getting your your validation from the right place and it shouldn't be the world. It better come from me. If you want to know if you're doing okay, don't look at the world's standards because the world's always going to lie to you. If you want to know if you're doing okay, come to me. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search my heart, O God, and see if there is any wickedness in me. Will God tell you if you pray that prayer? Try it. I dare you. He will. But I want you to be reminded of what God, the Lord says here at the end there. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. This is what God is saying to the church, and this is what he's saying to us. I love you. You're my people. But he said, what I need you to understand is this. I love those that I discipline. And so what does God do? He tells him, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. Now, here's what I want to point out to you. Don't miss this. God doesn't name any specific sin that they're guilty of. He just has one problem with them. What's that? Their lukewarmness. That's what he has an issue with. All right, let's bring this home now. Verse 20, it says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. We've heard this verse many times, haven't we? And a lot of times we'll use this in a way to evangelize and to bring others to Christ. But I want to show you something a little bit different today. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I want to remind you of something of the Jewish heritage that you have to remember. Having a meal with someone, having fellowship with someone meant intimacy. That was the purpose. The purpose was not just to go and eat together. The purpose was to have relationship with one another. I will eat with that person and they with me. And then he goes on. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So I brought a door with me. And I want you to notice something. This door has no handle on it. Now the Bible tells us that what is Jesus doing to the door? He's knocking, right? So if Jesus is knocking, he and I are not on the same side of the door, are we? So if Jesus is knocking on the door of my heart, that means he's out here and I'm back here. Hmm. That also means if Jesus is out here knocking, it means the church is back here. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus is knocking on the door of the church, and the church is inside the door. They're worshiping, they're praying, they're praising. But Jesus continues to knock on the door. Does that not bug you? It should, because my friends, Jesus will only go where he's wanted. Do you think we can have church without the presence of Jesus? 
Oh, my word, of course we can. But why would we want to? So the Bible tells us that Jesus stands on the door and he knocks, and the reason he's knocking is that he wants to get in. Why? So that he can have fellowship with us, so that he can dine with us, so that he can have intimate relationship with us. That's what's happening. So then let me ask you this. So if Jesus is always knocking, how do I know he's knocking? Am I going to hear a, on my heart? No. You know how you know that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart? He's confronting you. He's bringing something up in your life that he wants to deal with. That's why he's bringing it up. You have not allowed him to go into that part of your life. And so he's knocking on the door, asking to come in. But you know what we do? This is us. Lord, it's a mess in here. Let me clean up a little bit, and then I'll open the door. And Jesus just keeps knocking. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want you to clean up in that mess. That's how you got to be where you are. You know what Jesus wants to do? He wants you to open the door so he can come in and do a thorough cleaning of your heart. That's what he wants to do. So church, when we gather together on Sunday mornings, when we gather together for services like Ash Wednesday or prayer services or things like that, when you wake up in the morning and you go through your day, how can you not begin your day in service by not inviting the Lord Jesus Christ into your life? He's only going to go where he's wanted. Now, do you remember what Jesus said? And I want to close with this. He said, if I knock on the door and you open the door and you let me in, to your house, he then goes on and he says, then I'll invite you to my house. You see, the only way that you get to go to his house is he has to first be able to come into your house. And that's what Jesus is asking us here as a church. Do I think we're a church like the church at Laodicea? Can I be honest with you? Yes, I do. I know I am. There are times in my life where I look at my life and I think, you know what, I've got it pretty good, but I never use one word in my prayers to the Lord. It's called comfortable. Because God doesn't want us to be comfortable. He wants us to be in a relationship that totally depends on him. Now hear me, I'm not saying you can't have nice things. I'm not saying that you can't have boats and houses and things like that. I'm not saying you can't wear nice clothes. I'm not saying anything like that. What I'm saying is when it comes to your heart, are you depending on yourself or are you depending on the Lord? Listen to this last thing, and I want to close with this. Jesus was upset with the people because they were lukewarm. There was a lukewarm people. The lukewarm people gathered at the church. Now we have a lukewarm church. But what he was really disappointed in is that lukewarm people in a lukewarm church have lukewarm impact. 
May that never be said of us. Amen? Amen. May we be a church that's on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we're on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, our impact will be great. Heavenly Father, hard words to hear, but good words to hear. Father, when we think of the church at Laodicea in America, we're spoiled rotten. We are so rich, we are so wealthy, and I know it's easy for all of us. We've all done it. We've all thought, you know what, I'm good. I I don't need anything else. I'm, I'm good. But Father, today we learned that's not the way you desire us to live. You see, it's not about us having the blessings. We need to make sure we have the giver of the blessing. Lord, what you're saying to us is you want a people who don't want you for what you can give them, but they want you for who you are. I would be crushed if my grandchildren or my children or my wife were to say to me, I only want to be around you, Bob, because of what I can get from you. I want them to want to be around me because they want to be with me. And God, that's what I'm saying to you right now. Do whatever you have to do so that we will be that church that's not lukewarm, but we are being who you have called us to be. And our impact in the world is great because of our God. And it's in that name that I pray and all God's people said, amen. Would you please stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his joy, his love, and his strength. God bless you. God loves you, and so do I. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.